Welcome back to City on the Edge, the podcast the about edge. one southwestern city with uh, Mike Smith and Ty Bannerman. Hello. Um, thanks for sticking with us for a, uh, a bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, my kids had spring break, so yeah, mine too. I was sort of not available for uh, mm-hmm. Frankly, I wasn't sure if y'all deserved this. If we, like, <laughs> Ty should, does this, I mean... I don't know. They've not been donating to the Patreon account. <laughs> no, well, you know, like, maybe that's just not going to work. Out. <laughs> so, how have you been, Mike? Oh, What's pretty, new? pretty good. What is new? Um, let's see. I'm writing. I'm teaching. I'm a adjunct professor of literature and writing now at mm-hmm. a small yeah. for-profit school. Okay, that's very weird. Um, no longer yeah. babysitting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not minding, doing late night home care. People. Yeah, yeah. Um, something like a normal schedule. Yeah, it's yeah, like... yeah. But I'm writing like crazy, man. I just feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm really. I feel like I'm on a good course of that. I think I'm gonna starve to death before the book comes, <laughs> before yeah. the book is finished, two years from now or so. But, oh, but uh, you know, but I, but you know, no, probably not. Um, but uh, Have no, you actually, just, been paid for your job, like you. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You actually, finally pays. get paid. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, it's like it's weird. Apparently, if you perform uh, things that people need, like they'll they'll give you money in return for your for your efforts. Well, yeah. that's kind of what today's podcast is right. about. But before right. before we get to that, we thought we'd uh, talk about some uh, some Albuquerque news. Hello, yes. And I thought the uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up is this amazing story on KOB four. Mm. It is entitled "Is This a Chupacabra yeah. or Is This a Dog?" Mm-hmm. And let me say right from the get-go, it's a dog. It's a dog. It's a dead dog that they just have this picture of this desiccated yeah. dog corpse in somebody's driveway, it looks like, or just out yeah. on the gravel. I don't want to be controversial, but I think it might not be a dog. I think it might be a coyote. I, I would accept coyote <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, it's certainly yeah. not a uh, <laughs> not a mythical, yeah. mutated... What is right. a chupacabra anyway? Like, well, let's see. Its name literally means goat sucker, right? And... And yeah. didn't the uh, the basic myth of it begin around Cuba and it spread this way? Yeah. Some sort of creature that would come in and suck the blood out of chickens and other livestock. <laughs> you know, the, the descriptions varied. Sometimes it's sort of animal-like in its description. Sometimes it's green-skinned and has huge ears. Sometimes it has wings. Yeah. You know, there's all these different versions. But all of the, like, alleged chupacabra bodies have sure seemed to be, like, mangy coyotes or mangy dogs, like animals with some sort of... Yeah parasitic skin infection that makes their hair fall out, you know, like just things like that. In fact, sometimes they genetically test them and they find, yeah, it's a mangy coyote. But I would argue a little bit of nuance. I think chupacabras might exist, but they're mangy coyotes. (laughs) Like I think, (laughs) yeah, that was the microphone. Hold on, start it. You're saying chupacabras exist. I think chupacabras exist, but they're mangy coyotes. You think that's just a name we should start applying to mangy coyotes? Yeah. It's like, you know, so it's like, right. you know, people are like, they don't exist, but it's like, well, if this hairless, weird looking animal that vaguely fits this description is attacking chickens and so on, then, okay, that's what then a chupacabra is. We, uh, it's a coyote <laughs> with this weird, you know. It's weird to like come up with a whole new name for uh Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, we come up with like, you know, 
we we make distinctions if like teenagers start wearing all black and listening to Bauhaus. Oh, like you know, true. you're a goth. Oh, wait, so these you are know? the goths and the coyote, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's just it's just a useful label. <laughs> I uh, I want to point out um, local author and uh, noted skeptic Benjamin Radford. Oh yeah, yeah. Made a case that um, you know that that the chupacabra legend basically started as a uh, as a merging of kind of typical cattle mutilation stuff. Oh, yeah, you yeah. You know, like sometimes you find animals that are weirdly mm-hmm. mutilated. And right. I think typically that's just like a, a byproduct of how they rotted or sure, some, yeah, yeah. some animal yeah. getting to them. Yeah. That plus um, a lady seeing a weird thing in the woods in, a, in Cuba or Puerto Rico, actually, after having seen the movie Species. Oh, is that true? That's yeah, hilarious. And the the first like drawing that she did of it looked a lot like uh, Sill <laughs> from Species. So. I never saw this. That's so funny. It's not a it's not a good oh, movie, okay. I don't think. That is but, so um, funny. Yeah, which is weird. It, it, yeah. It's not at all like this thing. Right. We're looking at this picture on KOB's website. A dead hairless. It's, it's like dog yeah. or coyote. Yeah. If you saw this in the street, you'd be like, "There's a dead dog." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. With with its lacking some hair, sure, you know yeah. it doesn't look like a healthy dog. But I would like to say that you know, in a, at a time when um, uh, New Mexico has been rated like the number one of the top seven suicide uh, no. suicide capitals of, oh, of the geez. United States, yeah. um, that we've had all these like mental health care systems mm. shut down and so forth. Oh. Um, this is something that the uh, the local news decided to devote some time to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, it's interesting. Well, you know, you got to have some stories to balance it out. You got like, God, we can't just have all depressing news stories. Sometimes you, know? sometimes you just got to put a picture of a dead dog up like, on a yeah. TV and be is like, "Is it an alien? Think, guys? Alien? Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. No, it's it's you know, it's good to have that stuff. Um, I, I see why they do it. It's yeah. it's like a palate cleanser a little bit. Like, just, man, that's got that's got to be like. When I wrote... Uh, it's a dead, rotting dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a nice right. story, particularly. It's just like... Right. Here's a dead, rotten dog. When I wrote my Twitter feed, New Mexico News, which was like, uh, you know, little tiny summaries, you know, 140 character summaries of local news stories from around the state, people would be like, why do you focus on the depressing stuff? I'm like, I'm just drawing from the news. Yeah, That's what there yeah. is. You know, every day, like... Someone's attacked by a pit bull, and every day, like, someone's killed horribly, and every day someone dies of addiction, and every day, like, you know, this stuff is what makes the news. It's like, you know, it's, there's a great line in Peep Show where someone is ranting against the news that it's always negative, and the character Mark says, what do you want, just a dispassionate list of everything that's ever occurred? (laughs) You know, like, it's, you have to, you have to, I mean, you know, what's noteworthy? What's, and so it's, I guess, whatever, sure, it's a weird story that, like, is kind of a non-story. It's a dead dog. Yeah. Ah, yeah, anyway. I know it is. It's yeah, far right. more interesting to yeah. me is that yeah. um, tumbleweed tornado. Oh man, I love that story. That's, All right, yeah. so describe yeah. this thing. So there's a, a 40 second video. I think it's on uh, Channel 13's website or YouTube channel. Okay, you can find this thing. Look up tumbleweed tornado Albuquerque. You'll you'll find this thing on YouTube easily, and it's just. Someone on the west side of town. It looks like Paseo de Vulcan. I can't, I can't tell for sure where they are. It's over like on the on the far west side. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, there's just this huge dust devil, like giant, like parking lot size, just swirling around with dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of tumbleweeds, like full size tumbleweeds yeah. swirling around it. And it's just awesome. I mean, it'd be horrible to be standing in. It'd be <laughs> scratchy and dirty and gross. But uh, you know, it's just like wow, we live in this place. Yeah, this yeah, is totally this, this weird. 
Um, and tumbleweed season out here is oh, it's, I mean, it's always but, just like a wonderful, yeah, surreal, yeah, surreal time. Oh, it's crazy. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I remember driving out into uh, New Mexico from Texas during mm-hmm. during tumbleweed season one spring, probably yeah. coming back from Houston. And um, what just watching, just being entranced by watching the semis hit the tumbleweeds oh, that were, no. and these tumbleweeds are like the size of VW bugs. Right, right. These semis were hitting them, and it was just this explosion yeah. of thorns just over yeah. and over and over again. It's kind of majestic, even though then there they go to plant oh, yeah. more scratchy tumbleweeds, Russian thistles no, everywhere. We've, we've lost yeah. that war. Oh, I know. The, the tumbleweeds. And you see these pictures of like Roswell, just ba- houses buried in them completely. Or, yeah. or if you ever drive Lamadera Road during the really windy seasons, like I've literally like had to push tumbleweeds out of the car, out of the road with my car. Like they, the road yeah. was just covered in banks. This happened to my mother the other day. Uh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. <laughs> she said some guy was going to push them all out, out of the way with his truck, like a big uh, right. 350 right. truck. And so he did, he managed to, but the, the tumbleweeds just closed right oh, after man. him, you know, like this sort of yeah. liquid. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Liquid thorns. It's yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I kind of like them. They're, I know that they're an invasive species. I know that they get in your house and you step on them and they're horrible. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like I, I, the, uh, or at least they're, they're little thorns, but but um, they come you know, from Russia. You say, yeah, right? yeah. Russians Russian. they probably were, came over in like a grain shipment in the late 1800s at some point. Yeah. And now, and they're so iconic now because yeah, you know everywhere. they look great just rolling down a street on a windy day. It's just kind of like, oh they're wow, where do totally we live? Really weird. Yeah. yeah, they seem to have their own like yeah. mind. Yeah, uh, I hate to quote a racist song, but <laughs> but I but Morrissey has that song. Uh, he has a song in his first album with with. Um, with the chorus, life is hard enough when you belong here. And he's like, it's like an anti-immigration song. Oh, okay. So, I, so I, I try not to listen to it anymore. But I, but I think about that sometimes when I see invasive species that have kind of adapted to, um, to the ecosystems of the West and created new ecosystems. Things like tamarisks growing yeah. along stream beds or Russian, uh, uh, Siberian elms, which I know Siberian you hate. Elms. And I uh, kind of have a fondness for. I don't think so. Well. Uh, well, they're a fast-growing shade tree in the desert. I mean, that's kind of valuable in a way, yeah. you know? Well, the problem is... Yeah. The problem is these things find these yeah. niches yeah. That, and they just totally exploit them yeah. and they drive, they outcompete the, the native yeah. species. Like the yeah. Oh no, it's so true. Much. And that makes me sad, you know? Yeah. And, and you read like those old descriptions of cowboys wandering the, um, the, the rivers and they used to just be like mud flats along all yeah. the rivers. You know, there used to be like kind of like uh, liminal ecosystems alongside the, the right. river and what's, what's the word? For like, there's like a specific river ecosystems where riparian, riparian, yeah, those yeah. riparian zones. Um, it's awesome, man. Thanks for being a smart friend. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no, the uh, just and, always and thinking I, of the word yeah, riparian. And I would love to see that now because, like, I remember like going yeah. out and exploring the tributaries of Glen Canyon and the Escalante River and just being like, man, you can't even navigate some of these anymore. They're so crowded with tamarisks yeah. and Russian olives and these invasive species right, that, have, right. that have come to stay. Um, so I have mixed feelings about this stuff, but it's also like it's the world we know. You well, know, I've got two two outside species in yeah. my yard right now. I've got yeah. an ash in the front yeah, and I know, a yeah. locust tree in the back. Right. Theoretically, right. these are the kind of things that grow well but stay put, you right. know. But who knows? Right. Maybe in a right. fifty to hundred years, everybody's going to be complaining about the jerks who came in and planted it's uh, true, yeah. locusts. Yeah, oh, it's true. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in a way, like maybe I feel a kinship to him because we're invasive species. Oh, yeah, we totally don't belong. No, here, it's true, you know? right? Like, like that's like the logical endpoint. It's yeah. like, well, yeah. 
you know, maybe white people. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> Need to be removed from the environment. Yeah, but, well, we're yeah. we're pretty new. I mean, look at look at just the unnatural world that we've created here. You true, know? true. Which I guess makes this it is relevant to this week's um, piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should we go? Should we circle around uh, to that? Go into that? Yeah. I kinda wanted to talk about the suicide. Oh, we should talk about that too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just that there was a. Tell, tell me. Yeah. Um, this is a depressing release. news story. We probably should have put this one in the middle. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not as fun as the dead dog. Yeah. Just some random dead dog. Right. Uh, this right. is the Center for Disease Control released top suicide rates for the country. And um, New Mexico is in the top 10. And it's basically the top seven or so. Montana, Idaho. Oh, man. I don't know what that is. But some stupid square yeah. state. Everybody sucks. Um, Utah and New Mexico, and you, New Mexico's right up there. We've oh, got so um, hang in there, US, people. Don't do it. Uh, twenty point one to twenty three point eight suicides per one hundred thousand oh, people in New Mexico. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on. <sighs> yeah, totally. I do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why are we all killing ourselves? I know it's crazy. Well, I mean, I have some. Yeah, <laughs> it's a. You can, we all make pros and cons lists, I guess. But the um. Well, UNLV, I think it was, uh, out of Las Vegas, did, um, they did a, a study a while ago that said that these western states that are dark blue on this map you have up here, um, are they call it the suicide belt. There's yeah. something about the low availability of jobs, the high degree of isolation, the right. general poverty, the environmental degradation that, that happens at the expense of people. Just the sort of like displaced feeling that happens so easily in the West. You know, you mm. just you have plenty of time to feel alone and to feel um, uh, without resources, you know, in, a, right, so, right. in somewhat barren areas sometimes. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot. I think one thing like, it, man, poverty is just no joke in the West. It, it's you know, rough, man. And, and that is something that brings so much anxiety with it, so much stress. You know, it's and you a, combine it with mental illness. Yeah. I think that there's plenty of it here in, in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, oh, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to find this piece that I... Uh, Got this information from because it it basically blames our governor's actions oh, for well, yeah. uh, a certain amount of this because Gut, of gutting uh, mental health care. And well, exactly. Uh, if you are yeah. unfamiliar with uh, New Mexico and our lovely governor, um, in 2010 she uh, came in and and declared that basically all the mental health programs that had operated under her predecessor were uh, were corrupt. Um, fraud, you know, using yeah. money fraudulence, and this was never proven mm-hmm. at all. I cannot find this yeah. story. Oh, you know, Sorry. there's there's an interesting news story that might be worth a mention. Burt's Tiki Lounge is moving. That's like Albuquerque's <laughs> classic dive. <laughs> it's now go. moving to Central and tripling its yeah. size and starting to serve Hawaiian food. I don't know. I feel like they're going to lose some essential <laughs> identity when they do that. That's Can uh, I just say something? Huh. So I have a weird feeling about this Tiki Lounge stuff. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. stop talking about suicide oh, yeah, and yeah, health yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about tiki lounges. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, we're, we're, at a, we're at a point where we're very, like, culturally aware of, uh, of cultural appropriation. Oh, that's true, yeah, yeah. How is, like, a tiki lounge not cultural appropriation? Oh, what a question. You know, and they have a poster hanging up in there from some, like, you know, hot Hawaiian easy girl uh, movie or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's like Nadia or some something like that. Like, some... Some uh, na- it's like a name hanging up framed in there. And uh-huh. I've always thought that's a little weird. That's like you know, <laughs> like even kitschy. You know, like I mean, like, sometimes what, what's the because she's a Hawaiian girl. Or? Yeah, it's just like you know, it's like some like 
quote unquote easy Hawaiian yeah. girl or something like that. You know, like it, I forget what it says in this poster, but I've looked at it askew a number of times, like standing in there, you know, for a show or whatever. Because um, isn't it? I mean, yeah. even just the concept of a tiki is basically like a spirit or a or a oh, god. Interesting. Or oh, really? Right? Like, huh. It's uh yeah. That's never been my favorite aspect of it. I like the I like the divey quality of it. You know, yeah. And like, and, and yeah. in their defense, they've never consistently upheld the theme. <laughs> it's pretty randomly applied <laughs> throughout the yeah. place. It's partly tiki and partly just like random free posters they got right. from beer distributors. You know, <laughs> and and just this and that. You know, I I don't know. They had um, there used to be a place called the Polynesian Lounge on okay. Central. Did you ever go there? No, but I know it was a real craze. There were a lot of tiki yeah, lounges. Yeah, a lot it? of them back in the day. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of felt like, you know, it it was it was different. I feel different about that than I do about Bert's Tiki Lounge. Mm. I felt mm. like okay, the Polynesian Lounge, which was definitely basically like a tiki lounge right, kind right. of deal, and but it was also like maybe a themed restaurant or something, like that, an ethnically themed. Well, it was, old, well, it, was yeah. it was owned by yeah. an Asian family, oh, that's and then totally they had um, they had some people performing there. Like a, there was a Hawaiian guy who would play steel guitar hmm. and, and hmm. you know that kind of thing, and it was it was really it was cool. It was also like a holdover from the original kind of tiki lounge craze of the interesting, 60s. interesting. Um, so I felt different about that place yeah. for both of those reasons. One yeah, that yeah. It, it seemed like it was, yeah. um, I don't know, like maybe a little more authentic yeah. in its roots, yeah. and then also the fact that it was a remnant of this interesting other time. I, Whereas Bert's, I yeah, don't know, like it right. just—it seems like they are recreating something that, right. that they don't exactly have a claim to. Right. Well, you know, I mean, and what's weird is that I don't think anybody local goes there for um for that, that for those reasons. Like they could, I was kind of hoping they <laughs> yeah. would go away from it. Like I like yeah. I just don't like phoniness and of like it, right. it, anytime you you you're, you see like artificial. Just some conceit that's like, like, why are you clinging on to this? Like, why? Like, we're not an ocean-themed town. I mean, strangely, we had a surf scene here in the '60s for surf music. Oh, really? N- number of prominent surf bands. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And we have a great surf band now, Phantom Lake. Mm. But um, you know, it's a, uh, it's yeah. We had uh, King Arthur and his knights. Was they were probably the most successful. Um, Albuquerque surf band. You check them out; they're really interesting. Um, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They had some. He some, ruled like, in England for some time. singles. Yeah, back in the day, apparently it was easier to have regional hits that would then make it yeah. into the national. I think just the way that you had a, yeah. a record, yeah. uh, radio stations, right? Up, huh? Now we just have huge conglomerates that own every station well, and everything's. And they record everything out. in whatever right. their central right. location is, and right. You know, and you listen to people like in Salt Lake City in the morning pretending they're in Albuquerque. Boy, traffic sure is bad, you know, like they're <laughs> recording in some it's distant hot location. It's sunny here in the middle of summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be careful traveling down Juan Tabo Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just totally phony, but all right. Well, well um, let's, uh, let's we yeah. segue into around your, to this uh, thing? To your piece yeah. today, tell us a little bit about where yeah. we're going. Today. So I want to thank Ty for letting me do a kind of weird episode uh, article. This this um, this 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 week it's um, it's uh, an essay that I wrote. This is actually going to be a chapter in my book. Mm-hmm. It's uh, but it was published at readwildness.com, I think. If it's .org, you know, Read hopefully wildness. Read Wildness. Yeah, it's Wildness Magazine. It's in their first issue, and it's called A Brightness and Everything. I love that title. Thank you, man. Thanks comes. a lot. Yeah. I was sad when I did a Google search to find it. It appeared once in like an 1800s book, but you know, yeah, I'm, what, I'm what do you cool do? with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, it's uh, but um, hard, hard to find a wholly original phrase. I think I gave it my own meaning, so I oh, feel yeah, okay about it. But um, 
the uh, yeah. So this is a piece about a depressing office job that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's relevant because it's a description of one corner of Albuquerque's Northeast Heights um, and of one life within the working class of, of, uh, of, of that life. You know, It's the part of Albuquerque that I feel like you could, you could have this job in pretty much any yeah. medium-sized right. American city across right. the country. Right, right. Well, you know, and, yeah. and one thing I like about this podcast is I feel like we do have room to... Anything that's that's semi relevant to the city, well, yeah. we can we can. If we're talking about it. Albuquerque, this is a yeah. legitimate part of the Albuquerque yeah. experience. And yeah. So this piece is primarily a description of the things I could see out the window across the hall from my office. Like I didn't have a window in this office, but there was a window across the hallway. And every day I just started jotting down things that I noticed out this window, and just trying to like make some observations that like you know felt semi poetic or something. I don't know. Just like right. just like or just you know trying to like gain something of value from like what was otherwise a kind of depressing soul crushing job. And this is and uptown Albuquerque, which yeah, I think th- is a kind of a peculiar place. It that's is deserving kind of, of a little, it feels ahistorical in a way. Cause there's so much that's new there yeah. that, and it's just generic. I mean like every other restaurant is like some primetime dining chain place. This is and, Albuquerque's yeah. development of the eighties, mm-hmm. right? This is where the Bennigan's was. Right. This is where the TGI Fridays sure, yeah. was. This is where the two right. malls were. This yeah. is where the new office right. buildings were. And know? the one mall goes back to at least to the sixties. Windrock, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Good well, does, doesn't Coronado go back pretty far? Wasn't it? Does it? Far, it was the first one. No, Windrock was the Windrock, first Windrock was the first one? mall in New Mexico. Okay. I can't remember. Um, I researched this stuff for the piece, so hopefully yeah, I got it right in there. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. And this piece... It, I don't know if anyone's going to notice any irregularities, but we recorded the different parts of it in different order. <laughs> so hopefully that'll, 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 um, that'll probably be fine, right? It won't show. Don't it? part the curtain. Oh, okay. All right. We'll cut that out. <laughs> they would never know. Okay. Cut that out then. Um, yeah. All right. Sorry. Edit that out. But um, There goes yeah. their credibility. Oh, jeez. Well, no, it, no, it's not. It's <laughs> just, it's, it's, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's a joke, Mike. Okay. All right. All right. But, okay. Um, well, let's. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go so, ahead and so go without further ado. This. Right. Here's this piece. Oh, and if you want to read it, go to readwildness.com, um, dot, dot I think. And uh, it's it's actually visually formatted. It looks like a window on the page. Yeah. And, and then it looks like a closed window as, as it goes on. I think that's that's an important part of the piece that we can't quite convey. Yeah, we can't convey that. It's, you know, whatever. You can't, not every medium is going to capture everything. Right? <laughs> All right. But anyway. Um, go check it out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So enjoy. A brightness in everything. All the streets wet, all the mountains hidden, cars turning slowly across parking lots, the air a haze of water. A narrow puddle reflecting clouds, like a child wearing a locket portrait of its parents. A semi-truck slipping behind the mall, a silver fish slipping behind a shipwreck. Yesterday yielded to today, July 16th, 2014. Today will yield to tomorrow, and this is the view from my little office on the eighth floor of an Albuquerque, New Mexico office building. No freeways in sight and so many cars in solemn transit. Cars rolling south toward me. Cars turning east toward unseen mountains. Cars parking. No car moving all that fast. Everything glowing as if lit from underneath. The Jemez Mountains to the distant north and a mesa in front of them, south of them. Stratocumulus clouds long and thin across the sky like layers of blue and white rock. Ephemeral eras of the sky's geology. The shopping mall named after Francisco Vasquez de Coronado in the same valley where, in 1540 and 1541, he had hundreds of Native Americans killed. 
a stucco block bearing red lettering, the boot barn, nine moving cars and a bus, 40 parked cars glinting half concealed behind trees and buildings. So many trees for a desert valley, for a city's East Mesa. From near to far, a parking lot, a bus stop, a band of commerce, a band of trees, mountains, sky, more clouds, more sky. The city, lifeless, motionless, until suddenly, cars, a glassy puddle flickering beneath raindrops. A man riding a bike diagonally southeast across an intersection dressed all in black and weaving unsteadily. A big O-Tires store hidden like a hermit's cabin, barely visible behind trees. O-Tires, its sign says, as if exasperated with tires. The mountains just gone, the sky a pale fizz. The bus stop I found myself at one night before my divorce when I had to walk miles to get home, and three men followed me almost all the way. Clouds piled onto a shelf of sky above the mountains. From eight stories up, the cars all looking slow and the people people looking slow and drunk. A human form sitting down slowly on the turquoise bench of a bus stop. He or she crossing his or her legs. He or she continuing to sit. A person nearby walking east across a street in lockstep with a person far away walking east across the parking lot. Did they plan this? Back among the bands of trees that hides the city, that is the city, the tops of roofs, a water tank, a bristling line of light posts. Oh, that's why people are always jaywalking across the street right there to get to a bus stop. And then, near the bus stop, the ATM I walked down to at lunch to check my account balance, where what I found was not good, not good at all. I'm overdrawn again. This job withheld my pay for my first month, and I just cannot get caught up. An almost round cumulonimbus cloud like a planet come too close, and a long, thin, flat cloud around it like the planet's ring. Black Mesa, that's the name of the distant Mesa. It has the shape of a wave after it's broken, after its crest has fallen, when the last of its water coasts low and slanting onto shore. I remember driving around on it years ago on dirt roads. I remember cliffs of volcanic rock and the ruins of the engine of a train. The distant mountains a haze again as if only an atmospheric phenomenon. The need for a crosswalk. Jaywalking, jaybiking, all eastbound, all to get to a bus. Patterns I have yet to discern or may never discern. How the cars move, how the people move, how the clouds move, how the trees green. Quickly now, let me just say that the clouds I see often appear in the top left corner of the window where there is often only sky, often blue. Every day the sky changes color and texture. Some days the sky is as rough as sandpaper, or it looks that way. Other days it's as smooth as polished steel. Let me also just say that on cloudless days the sky gets paler as it goes down, and in the window's tall center-left panel the sky goes from dark blue toward the top to a lighter blue to a bluish white to a whiteness that the distant Hamas Mountains range wears like a halo. The mountains are a long, low slab of hazy blueness an hour's drive away, and in front of them lies Black Mesa, that long shelf of petrified lava, and in front of that runs a ratty fringe of green trees north of Albuquerque, hiding a white hatbox water tower and the tan corners of occasional houses. Power lines from left to right, like the lines of a musical score, cut across those trees, every note a tree, and the resulting song a crowded mess without rests. In front of the trees are the businesses along Manal Boulevard, a gas station, a GameStop, a Big O Tires, and the Manal itself, named for a preacher here in 1881. Beneath that, then, lies half of Coronado Mall, a cluttery sprawl of tan rectangles with the boot barn, where I buy the jeans I can't wear to work, and Sears, the mall's tallest, most castle-like rectangle, selling clothing and crockpots and nail guns, and then, in front of that, is a parking lot. More trees and tree shadows. Only trees and asphalt fill the lower left corner. Streets, trees lining the streets, traffic lights, an ATM, America's Parkway runs toward and away from me, two lanes each way. Uptown Boulevard crosses it. Indian School Boulevard crosses it. All named streets, their names only in my head. 
The sky in the window's top right corner hangs inseparable from the sky in the window's top left corner. The two corners often trade clouds as I pause to write down what things I can see out of what parts of the window so that readers might find it easier to place and envision the things I describe. The sky again descending again, paling again, and the center right panel of the window looks out onto it, onto a mirror-like chaos of nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, onto sharpened light careening off the invisible. Beneath that sky, like it's the sky's blue bedrock, slumps the eastern half of the Hamas Mountains, low and tapering. Then there's the line of trees again. The trees, the trees, the trees, the houses among the trees, the asphalt among the trees, and a barely discernible vertical line toward the far right edge of the panel, the north to south Louisiana Boulevard, bracketed by lampposts. Power lines cross the scene, a continuance of the power lines in the center left panel, and then there's the mall again, the mall's larger half bringing more tanness, more boxiness, more brownness. The Bank of America building displays its red, white, and blue logo over trees that sway and tremble green beneath it. The window's view, the view from my office, could be thought unexciting, but I've grown to like it, and every day it gives me something new. Every day I write down just a few of the things I see in it, and over time these things will add up and become a sort of landscape. There are trees again in the window's lower right corner, an Indian school boulevard crossing left to right, west to east, named for a school where Native American children were taken to learn English after being taken from their families. Underneath that is a covered bus stop with silvery roofs. Like a magic thing that apparently happens sometimes, the Jemez Mountains have vanished again, leaving only sky. All the trees alive in the wind, their limbs wild, and a white plastic bag pulsing by eight stories up at eye level. The sky itself gone away, leaving only whiteness, blankness, absence. A man is cleaning the inside of the window with a squeegee. The window, an entire wall, taller than it is wide, is divided into three rows of two panels each. The panels of the middle row are long and tall. The window is actually in the empty office across the hall, but I can see it through the glass wall of the office in which I work. All the hallway offices have a glass wall so we can be checked on constantly. And all four copywriters are kept in two windowless offices, while three empty offices with windows sit with inside of us. So the company can, I suppose, think they're motivating us to work harder. Everything looks muted. Last night's rain hangs like an Instagram filter over everything. The air appears wet, almost opaque. Another day of haze and muted air, and off in the distance, the parking lot sprawling empty at the game stop. And the game doesn't stop. Five visible traffic lights, four in pairs, two red, one red, all red now. Cars sitting empty, turned off, full of things. Suddenly, slowly, a man, all in black, hooded and wearing a cloak, staggers across America's parkway. Other people sit hidden away inside the glass and metal of wheeled exoskeletons. More stupid cars just driving around. Do something different, cars. The world a mist of stores, trees, clouds, sky. The day a haze of wind and dust. The gradual brightening of the world as if the core of the earth is a shining light, as if everything that exists holds a light deep inside, and maybe it does. The world always changing but the same. The cars in lazy drift. The streets a gray quiet. The trees thrumming silently. The sky white. July 28th, 2014. Sure, why not? Three birds flying west, black, flapping, a tiny flock. One flapping harder to stay near the other two. Some clouds, at least 18 clouds. So much rain to the northeast, the rain falling so dense and hard it looks from here like just an especially gray cloud. Lightning striking distant black mesa in Morse code. Dot, dot, dash. A message from the storm from straight overhead. You, it says wondrously. You. 
Sears in the boot barn and some trees alight beneath the hole in the clouds, shining like temples in a sacred garden, all else in shadow. Lunchtime and the number and the speed of cars increasing. Chicoma Mountain, the highest point of the Jemez Range, 64 miles away. 64 miles compressed into one view, a puddle beneath a tree just south of a bus stop on the west side of America's Parkway. When it rains, it reappears. When it's dry, it's gone. Shadows of streetside trees darkening the asphalt like rain, like tattery holes in the weave of reality. One blackbird flying low over the ground, descending, descending, its identifying features lost by distance and my own ignorance. The sun's rays glinting off passing cars, light rolling like alien energies from one part of the car to the next into nothing. The view faces north, not east or west, so the sun's never here, only its light. The average cumulus cloud weighs 1.1 million tons, mountains made of water, a brightness, the defining quality of the entire panoply, a radiance, a shine around the world, a light that pulses, dulls, intensifies, a glint of metal seen through a tree, everything somehow continuing to exist. The scene divided by the nearest horizon into two nearly equal halves, one of pale sky and distant mountains, one of everything else, a bus with an ad on it advertising to me a mile away and eight stories up, a bus crawling slowly uphill into an intersection like a beetle clambering carefully up a rock. It's 60 miles from here to the mountains, and maybe that's why the world seems to bulge and arc. The only motion's a light slipping from red to green, a bus easing east out of frame, half a car moving too fast in the mall parking lot, that same puddle that always exists after a storm. There should be a word for things like that, for things that go away and come back the same. More shadows of trees spilling onto America's parkway, as if the trees are waterfalls and their shadows are forest pools. A catalog of all visible shadows would include those of the trees, bus shelter roofs, Buildings, cars, more trees, and maybe clouds. A small black car approaching the intersection too quickly, almost hitting another car, then almost hitting another car, then speeding away. Traffic around lunchtime always gets faster. The world quickens. The closest visible horizons, a line of trees, then a band of blue-gray, a three-dimensional shadow, cloud shadow seen from the side. Is all darkness just three-dimensional shadow? And are all shadows three-dimensional? Buses with ads covering an entire side appear periodically in the mall parking lot. Sudden billboards like, this view is brought to you by. The view is a computer screen, every corporately labeled building a pop-up, the sky an ever-changing screensaver. Better than a real screen, at least. So tired of looking at mine, so tired of nine hours a day writing promotional flattery for the websites of skincare companies and plastic surgeons. Something between the rows of the Jemez Mountains. Tall clouds between one row and the next, white, thin, vertical. They might be rain. Where a puddle was, a damp spot, the shape of a keyhole. I like to think the water evaporating from it has the shape of a key. I like to think the key is turning. A man leaning on a metal walker, hurrying slowly to get to a bus. A man on a yellow bicycle a mile away, unknowingly being watched. A small white satellite dish on the mall roof, gathering information from space for the mall, or transmitting information into space about the mall. Either way, weird. A man jaywalking right in front of a police car across America's Parkway into a parking lot out of sight. The police car turning after him. The mall is sprawling and low as Graceland. The mall is brown and plain as Santa Fe. The mall is silent and as still as, as an empty warehouse. A brightness, a glare, a blue shine that would be here even if everything else was not. The primordial trade of this desert valley. Most of the 60 miles from here to the Jemez Mountains compressed into a single band. A dense line of green trees, a forest hiding a city. Cars like maggots moving in and out of the rancid block of the world. Seen, then unseen, then seen again. Two women walking side by side, every step matching, jaywalking in unison, a woman or man in pink pants following behind them. Light grooves on the western slope of Black Mesa, signs of erosion, signs of rain. The view is gray and green and brown and blue, 
streets and trees and a mall and sky, stillness and motion, but mostly stillness. At lunchtime, I walked down to what's left of the puddle I like to write about, and it felt a little like meeting a celebrity. I also got to jaywalk, where I see people always do that. A white car rolling south, a white car rolling east, a white car parked in a lot, the boot barn nucleus to the white car's busy neutrons, a jaywalker staggering diagonally across America's parkway with some sort of shiny metal stick. A sword? A curtain rod? Seriously, what the hell is that? What if alien life is so different from life as we know it, it's basically water vapor floating in the air? If so, the invasion has begun. Coronado Mall, largest mall in New Mexico, first opened in 1965. Before that, this view would have probably been mostly low dunes. Its new sign says Coronado Center in a plain gray font that looks stolen from a prison. A car stopped, blinking to turn left, waiting, waiting, while a man jaywalks across the second street in two minutes, pausing on a median. Beneath the trees, unseen roots. Beneath the roads, unseen pipes. Beneath the mall, unseen tunnels. Beneath it all, unseen the desert. No clouds today, only one, a single autostratus cloud eclipsing the whole sky as if spread by a butter knife. Beneath it, cars moving slower, a white car moving east, in the car an unseen driver, in the driver an unseen heart, in the heart unseen blood, a car designed for blood and a heart. Fractal explosions of trees, trunks flowering into limbs, limbs into branches, branches into twigs, everything brimming with leaves and green light. Faint lines of rain above a mountain, 60 miles away, drops of water falling through air and colliding with dirt. The distance is for people walking left. Nearby is for people walking right. A man standing by a bike rack without a bike. Maybe he's pretending he has a bike. Maybe this is a story of desperation and insanity. A distant churn of white cloud. A woman skateboarding away from a bus stop. Nothing but brightness, like staring into the sun and realizing there are people driving around and shopping in it. And there are trees. I can't really tell that every building and tree and car and mountain and road is hanging off the underside of a planet and that the sky is hanging off all of that. A three-dimensional collage of green trees and gray asphalt and tan buildings and pale sky and two kids playing on a bus stop bike rack. And now I miss my kids. I have four young kids. And with no longer being married to their mom and working here, I feel like I barely get to see them. A line of cumulus clouds so high the tops level out along the bottom of the stratosphere against the end of all possible weather. Below, people building and maintaining and wearing out new structures. Above, water, vapor, wind, and pressure doing the same and so easily gray sky and the world growing brighter, sunlight reflecting off the ground and off the undersides of clouds and off the ground again, the nearest horizon shaggy with trees like the edge of an old rug. I imagine the desert blink before dawn, then one by one the buildings blink into being, the trees sprout up and open like film trick flowers. I imagine the desert blink before dawn and then the asphalt wells up like cool gray lava, the cars roll in like animals smelling water. I imagine the sky blink before dawn and then the blue seeps through like a new color from another world clouds pop into being like popcorn. And suddenly, reality tears, a black gash in its skin, and the tear has the shape of a single bird, far off, flapping, rising, veering. Mountains stand like a broken castle. The show of the sky comes to an end, and now there's only static flatness, grayness, haze, a churn. The mountains are off the air as well. A blue wall hangs between the earth and outer space, and beyond it hums the universe. A red light in the near distance tells people to stop, and what it says is the law but I don't have to stop or even look at it. All the clouds are windblown balloons tethered by lines of gray rain to the earth. In the sea of the lower troposphere, cars as shellfish on an ocean floor, every moving metal shell protecting a soft human creature inside. Is it coincidence that the shapes of clouds and the shapes of mountains are so similar, or is a natural principle at work? 
The clouds are bigger than the city, almost as big as the sky. Lightning bridges the clouds to Black Mesa. The bridge collapses, shatters, sinks away. If the view was a news story, the towering cumulonimbus clouds would be the hook, the focus. The mall would provide local color. What can anyone tell about a person who's far away, who dresses in black, who rides a skateboard toward an Albuquerque bus stop? In black pants and a chartreuse shirt, another man wears a leaf blower like a flamethrower, his face a featureless blur. From here, though, everyone's face is a blur. The world is a faceless dystopia. No one has faces anymore. No mouths, no eyes. There are clouds, mountains, trees, cars, wires, streets, people. Life is a movie with a soundtrack by Grant McLennan, played only on my headphones. There is never a moon or sun or darkness, only light, the brightness, a wild, slick shine out of nowhere. Is no one else chronicling the wind in the trees at the northeast corner of America's Parkway and Uptown Boulevard? If not, how sad. The trees are sycamores, smooth-barked, broad-leaved, containers for holding light. Some, smaller, are Apache plumes, their branches fraying out into blossoms. A building not too far off, one I'd never noticed before. The uptown sports bar, almost hidden from view by trees. A slow jaywalker and then another. Beneath the long roof of the bus stop shelter, a blocky band of shadow. A discreet darkness where people wait to be driven through light. The website for the uptown sports bar says, It's a great place to celebrate things like birthdays, promotions, and divorces. Divorces. Hmm. A thin, foot-tall strand of something white on the outside of the glass. Perhaps there's a bird's nest or perch just above the window. Clouds are just flimsy, disposable mountain ranges. Can't even get the damn things to stay down. How strange it is to be so broke and then look down to see a big box of money, that ATM right there, inaccessible. A gleam of light riding east on the side of a black car. A gleam of light riding west on a gray car. Gleams of light with human chauffeurs. The northwest corner of a parking garage. In high school, friends and I would stand on that garage's roof and throw chocolate whoppers down at cars. That was something we did. A new fire in the Hamas Mountains, white smoke rising from the lower range just southwest of Chicoma Peak. The smoke from forest fires can become clouds, pyrocumulus clouds. I've seen it happen over the Hamas before, two months ago in June when I first got this job. This fire is the Pinot Fire and was caused by lightning. It's burning on a ridge six miles east of the town of Hamas Springs. A light in the daylight, atop a pole in the Coronado Mall parking lot, visible, bright, a modern beacon, the mall a cliff and a cliffside fort. People walking away from a bus single file along a narrow sidewalk, like a line of monks in procession, moving up a hill through the sunlight and into shadow. Banality. Banality? It's a lot of banality. Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a job that kind of was soul killing in some ways. Yeah. Well, it was soul killing. Just sitting in a little isolated cubicle and like and typing stuff that I didn't care about at all. So let's uh, get a little context for this piece. What was your job? Uh, It was a corporate copywriting job, which I've never really heard of this job before, but apparently someone is writing all the contents for these websites that exist, and it's not the companies that that (laughs) put the websites up generally. So, like, this company would, like, get hired by plastic surgery companies or... um, or uh, lawyers, or restaurants, or whatever the hell, and um, and then create all their content for them and manage their social media and stuff. And you know, I it just oh man, I, I just I just felt like it was not a a good working environment. It was just like it was just grim, man. You know, like you have to like dress up to go sit alone in a cubicle, you know, and just type nonsense that you don't care about. And, uh, you know, and it was like, there was no room for creativity and it was just, it was just really brutal. But like that view was, it really, despite it becoming like being just the ordinary world, it was like, 
like that view was like a something I clung to. I mean, it was so yeah. so important, you know. So can you tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about that part of town? Like, what, what well, part of town is that? Okay, so this is kind of uh, the Northeast Heights, I guess you'd call it, okay. but it's a little corporate area of that. Like, call um, it uptown. Yeah, like anyone that's driven I forty uh, on the east side of town <clears throat> has probably seen the Marriott building. Mm-hmm. And beside the Marriott building, there's two silvery little sized skyscrapers there that mm-hmm. are like eleven or twelve stories tall each. And um, and yeah, this was in one of those. I feel like. So that that area of town was mainly developed in um, like the '60s right. to the '80s. Right, so right. So it starts with uh, Winrock Mall. Right, right. It's kind of the era of the first shopping malls right, right, coming right. into being. Right. So it's kind of like the uh, the dream of um, what do you call it? Uh, like the the post-war generation oh, yeah, success. This was like the, the boom. You know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So kind of just as the right. baby boomers are right. Starting to come of age mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, this is the part of town that's sort of springing up as a road to the 80s and 90s in a way. Right, right. And I should say that, that we've only heard the first half of this so far. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some more of this in a little bit. But um, the uh, yeah, I mean, the Northeast Heights gets a bad rap for being like soulless sprawl. But mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways it's the most Albuquerque part of Albuquerque. Like if you think like Albuquerque has a reputation for growing like that anyway, you know, yeah. like Santa Fe is always like there's a, a famous somewhat offensive quote from the 60s where um, uh, some some uh, developer or, or uh, city planner said Santa Fe is a is a, a wife who cheats and Albuquerque is a proud whore, you know, <laughs> where it was Whoa. like, cause Santa Fe like has like <laughs> this sort of like set aesthetic and it, right. it, you know, even though it's like kind of phony in ways, um, they have a manufacturing right. authenticity. Whereas Albuquerque is just like, sure, build another housing development. We'll just ignore these other five that we have empty sitting right. here that no one's right. moved into, you know, it just goes and goes. And I mean, I think the Northeast Heights are interesting because that boom was attached to mm-hmm. Kirtland air force base and the first atomic bomb factory. Yeah. I mean, so it's kind of like, this is like these are like the suburbs of you know the end of the world. Like, <laughs> well, I found myself thinking as you were reading about, um, you know, I, we dismissively call these places Genericana, right? Right, right. And it's sort of like uh, the sprawly places, the corporate places, right, the strip right. mall places, but they also have their own trends of development. Oh, and sure, this is yeah. one you're talking about Coronado Mall, right? And that's right. kind of known as. Um, I don't know, the sketchier mall these days. Like, it's an older mall now. It's got its own sort of peculiar character to it. As I would say, Uptown in general does. You don't hear a lot about... um, a lot of excitement about Uptown. Well, it's so generic that your mind, like, slides right off it. Like, you go to think (laughs) about it, and it's just like, oh, I'm thinking about what's next to it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's weird. Yeah. and, Yeah. And an interesting thing has started to happen where people develop a... A nostalgia for the um, for the generic interesting um, businesses of yesteryear, like yeah. Winrock Mall, yeah. which was New Mexico's first mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was built in the the mid sixties. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it, it's abandoned at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, they're busy renovating it like crazy um, for the next thing, and people are excited about that because that was the mall they went to when right. they were kids, right. and it right. had a sort of a grandeur right. to it, and so right. forth. I had a stroke in that mall when I was 15 and spent a month in a hospital. Weird. Um, yeah, no, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, did you? I did. Yeah. I thought that was just a crazy character you were doing. No, no, no it's I really did. Yeah, it was just a thing that happened. Um, uh, what happened? Oh, um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, like, I feel like, 
part of me doesn't want to think about these places at all because they're so generic and so yeah. soulless in a way that like how can like anything beautiful happen within them but the fact is is like you can't cut anything out of the human experience you can't cut yeah. anything out of like reality it's it's all there well you know? like you say i mean i think that kind of the if i had to hit on a like a sort of a thesis for your mm-hmm. your piece that you're reading mm-hmm. it's that it is all connected that, yeah. yeah you know even though you're sitting in the heart of this kind of generic right. soulless place right. like all these you know you see the fire from the hamas and oh yeah the names of the streets have ties to historic oh yeah yeah nature. Like, it's all connected yeah you know, I I, yeah. I I feel like there was a a trend. There is still a trend to to make these parts of our cities um, kind of like they could be anywhere, mm-hmm. sort of unattached, sort of free floating. Yeah. Like you go to a Benig, well, you can't go to a Benigans anymore, right, but right. you go to a um, I don't, what's the restaurant over there that people go to Applebee's or something? Sure, Chili's. Okay, so you go to an Applebee's yeah. here. You go to Applebee's in the northwest part yeah. of town. You go to an Applebee's in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You go to an Applebee's in Louisiana, and it's all pretty much the same Applebee's. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 a it's a part of the American experience that's not anchored to its place. Right, right. But it is still just right. by virtue of where it is, and of course it, right. it's also anchored to its time. Right, and like it or not generic stuff and feeling detached from any sort of history is kind of part of the American experience now like that right that's it's weird like uh, I'm working this new job now teaching literature at a college that's attached to a mega church between a freeway and a Walmart and I just like part of me just like reels at like the location just like oh my gosh what is up with America you know <laughs> and then part of me is like I'm in the center right now like this is this is how America is now and it's not always beautiful but it is like it's worth noting yeah. you know and like you know, everything needs a chronicler. And people you know? are absolutely attached to this stuff, too. You know, so, people yeah. get excited about, um, what was the last chain that everyone's... Oh, the Cheesecake, Cheesecake Factory, Factory right? Yeah, everybody in town is... Or it seems like everybody in town is excited yeah. about a new cheesecake right. factory. Mm-hmm. We've had people lining up around the block to go to a Godfather's Pizza. Mm, so weird. The town had a absolute brain explosion when Krispy Kreme first came here. Oh, yeah. People do find yeah. meaning yeah. and and yeah. attachment to these places. Yeah. They get excited about it. It means yeah. something to yeah. them, you know. As much as I personally react against it, but even reacting against it is still. It's I guess it's part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing that this piece makes me worry about a little bit when I was writing and I was thinking about this is like some nature writers have gotten looked down on in history for not standing up like in an activist way for nature like say like saying like whatever i'll just write about it all it's all beautiful because i really do see like beauty and like suburban awfulness and like and things like that but but at the same time like i still have my preferences like i still like would rather look at a beautiful open desert plain than strip mall suburbia but i mean we just we don't always have that choice in our lives to live in only like you know classically beautiful places like Mm -hmm. we we kind of like you know light's still going to play on things and you yeah. know there's still going to be wind and weather and like you know randomness and like and these things are still worth noting i think even if yeah you know yeah. it's like otherwise we're just going to be miserable all the time we <laughs> might, i mean you know because you, you have to spend your time sometimes in less than gorgeous places yeah you, know? you have to get a job yeah you have to meet your uh right. your grandparents at right. the restaurant that they like right. okay to... gardenios it is <laughs> <laughs> like yeah exactly you know and uh so it's just man i don't know i i have mixed feelings about this stuff but part of me thinks like you know it's just it it's all part of the the one big story it's all part of like Absolutely. you know the the one big setting you know 
And and also it's like, it's going to be interesting. Someday we'll be 300 years past this. And people will look back like, man, how did they live back then? That was strange, you know? <laughs> like, what were they doing with all these weird, you know, one-story tall yeah. stuccoed strip malls? Little and, boxes everywhere. Yeah, it just... You know, we're going to be as mysterious to people as they are. I mean, like, and people have always lamented how things are. If you read H.G. Wells' book in the Days of the Comet, which I love, he has rants in there about, like, just the ugly suburban sprawl and subdivisions and stuff. And I'm thinking, like, the 1800s, how bad could it have been then? Like, they're probably still building it out of rock for the most part. And, yeah. You know, yeah. just so strange. But anyway, I I guess uh, I just don't see what the alternative is. You either get something out of it or you just let it destroy you and consume you, you know? Well. You know? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we have to experience it in sure, one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, you know, and yeah. chronicling it is one way to deal with it. Yeah. You know? Have you had jobs like this where you? Oh yeah. Oh really? Definitely. Like, yeah. Um, what what kinds? Oh, I had sort of a. I mean, I've worked at like chain restaurants mm. around the periphery yeah. of the mall and that sort right. of thing. And it's right. always like a weird. You know what's what's interesting is that these these places do have cultures and like underbellies and mm. seediness to them. Um, their own character. Yeah. And, you know, you work at a, at a chain restaurant by the mall and you mm -hmm. find out that everybody there is, um, got these terrible relationships oh, and oh, substance yeah. abuse problems. Oh, and, you know, everybody's dealing with the same kind of angst. It's yeah. just in these different settings. Yeah. Um, but I think what's different is, uh, maybe you're you're sort of called upon especially as a waiter you're called upon to um present a facade mm. of uh mm. like sort of perky affability right. to Hi. the people who come in which you know i've got no yeah. problem with that right but it's it's just <laughs> it's it's interesting because the image that that is being projected is yeah. quite different than uh yeah than what's going on yeah that's behind true. the scenes that's true yeah you don't want to <laughs> Yeah, sometimes yeah. you'll see like a telltale tattoo or somebody on somebody. Yeah, like, oh, right, right. You've been right. dealing with some issues, haven't you? Like, you know, I kind of appreciate those glimpses at least because it's like, oh yeah, I'd sure. rather deal with real humans than right than right. like phony robots being cheerful in my face. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I, but I do think like, man, so many of these modern jobs, they're like, um, have you ever read that Franz Kafka story, A Hunger Artist? Yeah. Where the guy's job is just to starve in a cage. Right. You know, it's just like, that's kind of like half of jobs. Yeah. You know, yeah. you Definitely. waste away, you know, like, you know, so what's the job here? Well, we kill your soul on a day to day <laughs> basis and then we throw your corpse in the river at the end. Oh, okay. Well, right. <laughs> you know, then I'll take it. What's it pay? <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, this maybe this is one of our de more depressing ones, but, you know. I don't know. Sorry, readers, listeners, people. <laughs> Shall we go into the uh, the next part of it? All right, yeah. All right, next half. So I want to say, um, maybe we set this up in the beginning tag that we haven't recorded yet, <laughs> um, that this is this is like a visually formatted essay. It kind of looks like a window laid out on the page. Oh, that's and right. the last yeah. two pages, you might notice it gets a little different as I get toward the end, are a single two-page sentence um, because the window closes, you'll see. All right, so anyway. Okay. All right, let's do this. The shadow of a tree, a flickering, unstable black hole near the center of everything, seeming to draw the entire world toward it. A man alone on a red bench at the bus stop, hunched intently over something, a phone or a book, his back to a forest fire 60 miles away, the fire unaware of him as well. A silent band of trees hiding neighborhoods, of houses, and in them people hurt each other, love each other, feel happy, and feel wretched. 
There are moments when nothing moves, when no cars go, when the sky just sits like a blue block atop the horizon. The view is a wall of Plato's cave. The view is an incomplete glimpse of a wider world, of shadows and light hiding infinity. The oldest things in this view are mountains and sky, volcanic mountains 1.4 million years old. The sky oxygenated for 2.4 billion years. The Pinot fire smoke growing hazier and wider. And what I thought was a bird, but is actually an aircraft circling toward it, flashing. After the 1680 Pueblo Revolt and the 1692 Reconquest of New Mexico, the Spanish had a church built atop Black Mesa, and it's still there and visible from here. Umbrellas, a red raincoat, hunched postures, the sky shining gray on wet asphalt, red brake lights, the horizon as gauzy as spider-webbed trees. Imagine a sky-sized ghost of television static, transparent, multidimensional, falling endlessly to the ground, the drizzling gray of the world right now. Mark Olson singing Clifton Bridge, the city sitting below his song and not listening. The Sandia Mountains are always just out of view, but even if I walk to the glass, I can't see them. Fog everywhere, fog clearing. My office mate, Leslie, also a copywriter, stands looking through hip glasses and a camera phone and the windows at the clouds draped along the foothills. Outside, rain, more rain. The air drying, the streets drying, the air brightening, the streets graying and moving in unison around the axis of the earth and something besides myself attending to the view. The club-leafed money plant on top of my filing cabinet, twining its pointed leaves around a partial wall, hungry for some light. One end of a long, wide swath of light stretching 93 million miles to a star. A cosmic bridge between a mid-sized mall and stellar fusion. The clouds over the Hamas Mountains, breeding, drifting toward potential mates, merging, spawning a wild, white sky full of offspring. The sky as if it's something separate from the air around us. Though twilight and dawn, when the air is blue and gray on all sides, show it's not. There's something so strange about watching rainfall and hours drive away on mountains I rarely visit. Here, it's sunny and the sky is clear. I can see the pinkish dirt of the side of Black Mesa, about 24 miles away. Dirt, I'm looking at you. Dirt, you're a star. Watching how an empty sky fills with clouds, thinking of how protons clump together in the early universe, thinking of how anything forms, the view is of the part of the Earth exactly opposite the middle of the Indian Ocean. In a sense, this view is the lowest strata of an ocean floor. The fire in the Jemez, the Pinot fire, continues to burn. A mountain shows itself to be the volcano it began as, smoke pouring off its peak. People just walking along, swinging their arms like that's their job. Once, my baby daughter laughed at apples on a tree. A man just glided by on a motorcycle, and it made me laugh as well. Normal things are weird. Smoke between the ridges of the Jemez Mountains. The whole range obscured by haze, pyrocumulus clouds, clouds born of fire, high overhead. Things made of air and water, things made of wood and plaster, things made of tar and crushed rock, things made of glass and metal. On a side of a bus is an ad for a loan officer, mostly just a close-up of the officer's face, and really it just seems obscene. His face, his giant pink face. August 26th, 2014, but also other times. Behind it, each time held intact in the past, sealed in unalterable by all that came next. A bird that could be flying in any direction, but is flying right above a street with the direction of traffic, perhaps looking for bugs and lizards and mice run over by cars. Tall black lines rain from a high cloud somewhere far to the north, like a messy web built by huge cloud-dwelling spiders. Every building painted in brightness, the light like a color, the light like air. A single, small gray feather stuck to the outside of the glass, not far from the long white streak. There really must be a nest above this window. The brightness, the return of the brightness, and where exactly is it? Around everything? On everything? In everything? The city's mountains, the Sandias, are only about four miles east of here, but they're just outside of view. Still, they shape the clouds. 
if I divide the scene into only light and shadow, then the world is mostly light. That's how it is right now, anyway. Before humans existed, this land was here. And when humans no longer exist, it will still be here. The buildings will be ruins, and then windswept rubble, and then not even that. New theory. The Hamas Mountains form from the sky. The sky and the mountains are the same material. The sky dissolves away the mountains. That's how it feels, anyway. So much smoke. A new mountain range made of smoke. I bet the people standing out of the bus stop can smell it. A pyramid made of smoke, cars moving seemingly at random, and yet every car has a driver, and every driver has a destination and a reason for going there. Still, random. Shadows of trees like the things themselves, all the trees like shining green effects of their far more tangible shadows. The Hamas Mountains looking like they've just exploded, a pillar of smoke like a mushroom cloud. If an atom bomb went off in Los Alamos in the Hamas Mountains, the view wouldn't look much different than it does now. A car rolling west, a man in a wheelchair rolling east, the distant fire in the middle behind them. The fire is Moses. The car and the man are the Dead Sea. The whole view is a bizarre remake of the Ten Commandments. It soundtracked the low rumble of my office's air conditioner, making the scene ominous and foreboding. A gray bank of smoke stretching miles. According to my car's radio this morning, everyone's talking about the new Taco Bell waffle taco. All those people down there talking about it. Hovering like a ghostly black cross above the city, the reflection in the glass of the beams of the window. The beams are reflected in the glass wall across the room, and then that reflection is reflected again in the window. In the 1600s, reports of ghostly crosses in the sky were almost as common as reports of UFOs today. I can see my reflection too, but only faintly. Tall, but hunched. Young enough, but worn out. Wide-eyed and looking for something else. A magic trick. A man swings a bag onto his shoulder and stands up. A bus slides up and conceals him. The bus goes away and the man is gone. The mountains unraveling, stone spooling away into smoke. The Pinot fire has burned for weeks, and like every fire in the New West, it feels interminable. The white and gray feather on the outer window, like a you-are-here marker on a faulty satellite map. And here is the front of the Uptown Sports Bar. Confusing. Because here is actually an airless skyscraper, and here is where a master's degree in creative writing has gotten me. Brightness in the form of clouds, in the form of buildings, in the form of trees, cars, mountains. Brightness, the air around everything. The feather that's been stuck for weeks to the outside of the glass has blown away. The weather was windy over the weekend. The horizon is so beautiful to think about, literally a line where the roundness of the earth makes seeing any farther impossible. I imagine putting my mind into a lighter-than-air body so I could explore the tops of clouds. I reflect on how the best music can make anything cinematic. Listening to bleachers and watching a man bike around a bus stop, and it's epic, and it's about life. Yesterday after work, I walked around outside and found what may have been the feather that had been stuck to my window. And I got to look insane. What if this is a story, and what if the main character of this story is the red, white, and blue logo of the Bank of America building? What if this is a story, and the point of this whole story is that often trees grow near buildings, or that often people just drive around? Or what if this is a story, and it's a notably less eventful sequel to both Zero Dark Thirty and Gravity? What if this completes a trilogy? Sears, blue words on a building's corner, say, as if describing what the brightness does. It's Sears, and cauterizes would be too long. The Uptown Transit Center, the covered bus stop. One online reviewer gave it two stars and said he was banned from it for wearing a red shirt with red shoes. The world, to me, feels as if a fuse was lit, and now everything is exploding in light. The brightness is here, and even the mall appears to revel in it. The brightness, the cloud shadows, the mountains. The mountains wallowing in light. The mountains luxuriating in shadow. Okay, sky, clouds, land, roads, buildings, vehicles, sure, that's fine, that's fine. But where is this all going? What's the end game here? The mountains are blue in the distance because the sky is blue between here and there. The blue of the mountains is the blue of the sky. 
North America 100 million years ago was divided south to north by the western interior seaway by an ocean, and all of this was underwater. I just can't get over that the mountains exist, the trees exist, the sky exists, that anything exists. All the rest makes sense, though. Black mesa, a table, the shadow of a cloud, a tablecloth covering the table perfectly. What's the occasion? Oh, yes, September 10th, 2014. The same view every day, and it's always beautiful and disappointing, always boring and interesting, nearly always the beginning of yearning. Near me, the view is only as wide as a parking lot, but it's 64 miles long and perhaps that wide at its other end. Even longer, thinking of the sky as a glass blue window onto space. Suddenly a white flash from outside, not even a full second long. Something unexplained, something that probably happens all the time. A man who had been sitting down, standing up. A truck that had been parked, driving off. A cloud that had been a cloud, different. And all morning, the feeling of being in a cocoon, of imminent rain. And now the clouds dispersing, the cocoon crumbling, the world opening up at last. Or maybe not. Sometimes I like to daydream that this planet's dominant species is not humans, but human fields of vision. That my consciousness resides not in my brain, but in or on everything I can see. That my body is just a device used by this field, by the real me, to move around and grow. That my brain is just a backup hard drive for this angular cloud of sight and light and shadow and experience. That my brain is just a movie projector for the real show, except actually it's a movie receiver. And the show is the thing pouring into my eyes, sitting there in front of me, pushed along in front of me, gliding along in front of me, dragging me along behind it because it needs me, because it is me. And I think how this means that for the past few months, for eight to nine hours a day, five days a week, even when I was feeling anxious or feeling depressed or worried about my health or worried about my kids or worried about my girlfriend and our relationship or worried about my brother and his alcoholism or worried about money or worried about everything, I have been enormous, a world, a field of wild vision at least 64 miles long containing mountains and clouds and forest fires and a part of the sky. And this would mean the last Friday, September 12, 2014, at precisely 10 a.m., I became smaller. Last Friday, when I was sitting at my desk, my face a sickly screen-soft blue, with Leslie facing her computer on the other side of the room. Last Friday, when one of the company's managers came rushing in, a gray-haired ex-military motorcyclist, a nice enough guy doggedly committed to the illusion that we're all one big happy family here, which we must be if he occasionally buys us all donuts, and which we must be if the company's president once took us all to a baseball game. Never mind that employees just mysteriously vanish all the time and are never seen again. Never mind that any time I've ever asked about these employees, I've been glared at and then blatantly lied to. Never mind that literally every lower level employee here has to have a second job to survive. Never mind that we're all constantly spied on. Never mind that we all get emails from the higher ups referencing things they couldn't possibly know unless they were reading our private exchanges. Never mind that twice when Leslie has gone home before me, the company's two managers have sat down at her desk, turned on her computer, and then gone through all her files claiming to be fixing a bug. Never mind that Leslie has told me they've done the same to my computer. Never mind that this sedentary job has made me gain weight something I have never had a problem with in my life. Never mind that isolation and silence is the devastating norm here, that we're all like test subjects in an unkind experiment, that this job has made me so depressed that I am not the only one. Never mind all that. Mind only that last Friday, the manager clattered into our office, moving too fast and looking away, telling Leslie, congratulations, she was getting her own office, a window office, and telling the other remaining copywriter, Gina, the musician friend who helped me get this job, she was also getting a window office, and telling me I was getting my own office as well, the windowless one I was already in, an obvious raised middle finger to me, especially with two other windowed offices still sitting empty, and no doubt this had to 
to do with Leslie and I talking every day. In fact, the company's president once told her, we find it better for production when employees don't talk to each other. And no doubt this was about the company's other manager, an all-grown-up sorority girl, finding out that I had criticized her in a private email to the company's president. A legitimate criticism, as she had been underreporting the number of pages I had been writing. And no doubt this had something to do with the rumors I have since heard that the manager and the president, who's married to someone else, are romantically involved. So of course he's going to take her side. And regardless of what this may be about, it just leaves me feeling sick and empty, feeling drained of life, feeling like I've just given too much blood. And when the gray-haired manager rushed all of Leslie's things except her desk over to the office directly across from mine, the office with my window in it, and then that manager pulled the blinds down in that room, I could hear him saying to Leslie she'd need to keep them pulled down far down to avoid sun glare on her computer screen, telling her to always keep them pulled down. And why would he even say that if he didn't know about the file on my computer? This file, the file I'm adding to now, working title, View from My Office Window, July to September 2014. Something I've added a line to a few times a day at most that barely takes any of my time at all, but it brings me a little joy. And then, just like that, the only two things I've liked about this job, a fun, intelligent, beautiful friend I can talk with between tasks, and the view out the window across the hall, which I've loved and needed and identified with, were just gone. And they're gone still, and they're going to stay gone. I can't be staring into Leslie's office all the time. That wouldn't be cool. And those blinds cover most of the view now anyway. And I don't want to believe the apparent message of all this, the message I can't help but take away, the message that life is enormous and rich and right there and there's no end to it, but it's not for you. You just need to look straight ahead, be quiet, type, do the time, be unhappy and produce websites for plastic surgeons, websites for plumbers, websites for divorce lawyers, websites that mention certain keywords a certain number of times and link a certain number of links. Oh, and let's not forget that mandatory staff meeting where we discuss the company's new core values and they all had to start with a C, and you suggested adding creativity, and the company's president said, no, that's not important, we're going to go with the list we have. And don't forget at that same meeting, the sales manager, who looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but thinner, giving a speech about hope and change that was obviously just cribbed from Barack Obama's 2008 campaign and adapted to be about search engine optimization and pay-per-click advertising, because, well, that's it, this is your world, a world of nonsense, a world of people so plain and unimaginative they would crash all this awfulness into the side of your building, not on September 11th, which would have had a certain poetic historic weight to it at least but the next day on September 12th sheesh so you might as well just look right at it don't look away why look away what else is there there's only this the eighth floor of a mirrored 12-story building and on this floor are just two companies this company which takes up half the floor and holds a long hallway lined with offices with cubicles at one end and offices throughout and a reception desk and notably outdated customer testimonials framed on the walls in a break room with a fridge and a soda machine and a coffee maker and my half-empty office and in my office on my side from left to right is a black filing cabinet with a plant on it and my desk with a few things displayed on it bottles I found in the desert, a 1941 newspaper, a 1953 pulp western magazine, the computer, and on the wall a signed concert poster with a photo of my seven-year-old son in a soccer uniform tucked into its corner. And I know that all I need to see is the computer, and I know that that's right, and I know that that's wrong, and I know that outside there is no way to tell which clouds are growing bigger and which clouds are going away, and that outside there is a haze over the mountains, remnants of the fire, and a haze of light over everything else, remnants of the sun, and I know that the only other company on this floor is a family law office, coincidentally, unbelievably, the exact same law office where my now ex-wife and I met with a mediator to finalize our divorce almost two years ago. And I remember riding up in the elevator with her, and there were mirrors on two walls of the elevator, and our images reflected back and forth into infinity, our reflections getting smaller and smaller, and it was like someplace else we had been before, but different. And now, whenever I ride that elevator, I see myself reflected alone, myself getting smaller and smaller. And for that reason, and for the exercise, I usually take the stairs, and climbing all of those stairs, it just kills me every time, and really, it just never gets any easier. Bye.
sadness give me heartbreak wake make me burn make me hurt give me heartache right before give me rest give me harm like give me come give me peace give me madness teeth give me lies give me grief give me love and hope goodbye so when you no longer have this job right no thank god yeah. When did you uh, when did you leave? Um, I was fired right before Thanksgiving of last so, year. Yeah, of okay. last year. Yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, it was kind of weird. They like leaked a rumor beforehand that like my job was in danger. But don't worry, they never fire people before the holidays. And then I got caught uh, in and fired. That's and a weird it, rumor. It, it was really it really complicated my life, man. I like yeah. I, I, unemployment is really hard to file for here. Like I I couldn't do it. I never could get unemployment benefits. So I just was like hungry for for a while you when know? did you finish the piece um i wrote a draft of this that was less personal like yeah. during that time i remember um, that one yeah because i, I kind of thought it would just be like a cool like avant-garde you know collage piece you know but then i right um what's uh, what's ben's last name dolan in our writing group ben dolan yeah ben you know he he urged me to um increase the amount of the personal stuff in there yeah and, and the more i thought about it I, I resist that comment sometimes. I, always, I get that sure. about work sometimes. Increase how much you... But I thought, that kind of works for this piece, I think. I think yeah. I should play that up. Yeah. So I added, uh, on every page, I, I worked more personal stuff. And it was real. Mm. It was still nonfiction. It was, right. it was from that time and so on. Um, and uh, so I worked more in, and then I kind of did those last two pages where um, the window closes. Right. And it's just kind of like, man, here's the reality of it. You can look out of the window all you want, but want, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, like what's the Jack Kerouac quote uh, behind the tender neon is a red brick wall. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's the beautiful stuff and then there's the cold reality, you know, right. it's a, uh, it's right there. And, um, and you know, yeah. I, and I wanted it to be like oppressive and to kind of end in the middle of it because yeah. I feel like a lot of times there's this tem- tendency in our, in our work, in everybody's work to like, be like, but it all worked out. Now I'm happy, you know? And it's like, no, the struggle is real. And right. like, and a lot of us are like in the middle of it, yeah. you know? And um, so, yeah, I want to, you know, yeah, I think that's... And certainly when those yeah. things happen, they feel yeah. oh, eternal man. and heavy. Oh, God. And they're just like, yeah, there's, there's, you see no, no line out, you know? So when, yeah. when did you, when did you actually put the finishing touches on this? Is this a, um, something that you've done since I, the I job wrote, ended? I wrote it during my unemployment. A, oh, okay. a bit of, I wrote that this and another yeah. piece during that time. I wrote it, um, I guess, in the beginning of... Uh, I, I finished it and polished it up. I edited it. I would say I right. wrote it mostly during that job but um, because I had that file. That file that I referenced toward the end right. was, was real. That really right. was. Um, and uh, toward the end... Uh, so, so afterward, then I kind of polished it and I wrote those two pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But, I mean, the, the, even those two pages drew from notes I had kept during that time and yeah. stuff. So I, I consider this nonfiction. But I have and, to say, it definitely feels like... Written by someone who is oh like that job is done oh you know oh interesting you know, interesting it seems like a those last two pages where it's one yeah. sentence oh yeah or two sentences it feels like a nail going into the coffin right, right. well even because even at that time I felt like this is unsustainable right like like this is emotionally physically yeah. unsustainable for me I feel awful I like every day I was worried I was getting diabetes just from like sitting there all the time and like living such a sedentary life. I was like, I can't feel my feet. I just, I started getting like hypochondriac and just like freaking out from it. It's just, it's just unhealthy, man. It's just wrong. You know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I think a lot lately about that Thoreau quote, the mass of men live lives, live lives of quiet desperation, which is kind of a sexist quote, but whatever, 1800s. Um, 
And, uh, you know, like that's how they were. Uh, Emerson wrote a book called Representative Men and he thought it, well, cons- it contained the whole of human history. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, but, but I think about that quote because I feel like Thoreau said it very dismissively, like those lives acquired desperation didn't count or something in, right. in his life because he had an affluent friend that lived near a pond, had a house near a pond, yeah. you know, like was better. He was like out looking at nature and stuff like that. But not everyone has those lives. And I think uh, lives of quiet desperation, which I find myself living one sometimes, uh, that that has value too. You know, mm-hmm. that, that like, well, why shouldn't we write about that also? That's the human experience also. That makes me mm-hmm. wonder, um, you write about, it seems ma- mostly like the management in a very oh, yeah. kind of like yeah. seems resentful of right, them in, right, right. in a way that sort of dismisses them. I mean, mm-hmm. do you still feel that way? I mean, in I, that context, of, I feel less intense about it, but I think yeah. it was a very badly run business. And right. I, don't, I don't see them even being around in two years. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, their employees were so unhappy. I ran into a coworker recently at my kid's judo mm. and uh, he was there doing judo. <laughs> like I was like, cool. All right. And we started talking and I'm like, what's it like there? And he's like, Remember how it was? Well, like imagine it being worse. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. It's like that kind of an environment. You know, you I know? recently quit a job. Yeah. Um, and we won't get into right, the right, specifics. Right, of right, it, right. But, uh, but, but smart viewers can deduce what this might it's be. It's an interesting, yeah. I think all jobs, no matter no matter what kind they are, they're, they're a human structure, you know, yeah. and it's sort of imposed on yeah. you. And so it's always going to have these these qualities that you can't quite stomach, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's so freeing so liberating to walk away from them and also so terrifying because like they've um that structure has also supported you and and uh you know formed boundaries for your life and everything it's like walking out of a cage yeah god i i this is gonna sound like such a hippie liberal thing to say but like but i just feel like this expectation that everybody is good for a 40 hour a week job like i think it's just like fundamentally at odds with how a lot of people are. Right. You know, when I hear about cities like Utrecht, Holland, that are trying like a universal wage where everybody makes enough to get by and then they can pursue their actual interests or whatever. um, People there, they're still going to work jobs. They're still going to, they're still going to do things, but it's going to like, the pressure is going to be off a little bit. It's not going to be like, do this or die. It's going to be like, do something that makes our community better. Like, you know, I feel like you and I have a lot to add, but like, you know, we're, we have to balance that with our, with everything, you know, it's like, you know, if, if we didn't, the things that make us who we are know, are not man. necessarily cut out for like, certain kinds of jobs. I, and I, I think it's probably yeah. true of anyone, right? I know wonderful people and I know that there are people that would want to dismiss them as lazy bums or yeah. like layabouts or something. But like, I know wonderful people that are just not cut out for it. Yeah. I, you know, I have a friend who like, she just like, doesn't do that stuff. Well, like she yeah. just doesn't know how to like, like keep a job and like stay okay. Right. You know? And it's like, I don't think it's necessarily like an indictment of her. I think it's like, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, she just is not going to, that's just not what she's made for, you know, like she, like in another time she would have like been singing songs in a castle or something like that. And like, (laughs) you know, living on the coins people through her. So, I mean, like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I'm just think there's like, there's like, there's just different ways of being, and yet we're all expected to be the same way now. Like, right. okay, work your 40 hours, do your thing, you know? There's sort of a dominant it, vision yeah. of what, what yeah. it means to be contributing, to uh, be yeah. uh, successful. To exactly, be, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's rough because, yeah, who does fit that? Yeah. I have Some a much nicer fit job now. really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, man, I don't know. I just, like, I can't wait to, like, I want to have some success as a writer and just, like, you yeah. know, like, find a comfortable way of living within that and... 
so I just don't have to do these little jobs. I just I feel like I never quite fit into them, you know. So, but I do like my current job. It's nice. So there was one uh, element that I, I thought I wanted to touch on. Okay. Um, Solely because everybody's talking about it. Right. The uh, the waffle taco from oh, Taco Bell. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it I really stood I, out for me that particular line. It just it it. Why why did that st- what did that line mean to you? What, what was well, that? Well, I was driving to work that morning and I heard a radio ad about it. Everybody's talking about the new Taco Bell waffle taco. And I was looking out the window, just thinking like, look at all those people down there <laughs> talking about the Taco Bell waffle taco. <laughs> sort of that like, uh, that the like, desire to capture like viral I, conversation so stupid and so, to, so to manipulate it so that it happens when yeah. you want it to happen what a frightening world that would be if everybody was literally talking about <laughs> the new taco bell waffle taco which probably doesn't even exist anymore didn't that like crash and burn like the I, first day or something i you know i haven't been to taco bell I, in yeah. a very long i haven't been time. there in like 15 years um, i'm proud of it but yeah it, um, it doesn't ring any bells yeah no. <laughs> um no i uh no i mean you know and just I feel like it fits with the idea of like a superimposed rea- reality over everything yeah. else. Like this is how it is. This corporate reality is how it is. Right. When in reality, no, it's totally not. Yeah. No one's yeah. talking about this. And no if they are, it's dismissively <laughs> about it. This stupid Walk radio out here. Yeah. Walk away. Back away slowly. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy, man. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, that job was weird because it's over now. I don't like have to yeah. think about it ever again. And yet, like, I really felt like it left a mark. Like, sure, like did, I, yeah. I have a handful of like experiences in my life, like this depressing winter I spent in Alaska, my divorce, the last couple of years of my marriage, this job, where it was just like, like anytime I even recall them, I kind of just get this, <laughs> you know, that was painful. <laughs> that like that hurt. It still hurts a little bit. You know, and it's and it's silly because come man, life could be so much harder. Yeah. And this is this is I understand that this is a first world problem in, in a big way, but it's just you know within the within the context of reality as I know it, it hurt. Well what it to was, say? What, what yeah. yeah, I mean I gotta say first world problems are still problems. Yeah. And yeah. um it they they hurt you in a different way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's nice that we don't have machete right. wielding mobs right. going through the right. town center and that would suck right. and I would never want that to happen. Yeah, I would yeah. never trade yeah. the banality of our existence. But right. you know, we do still have yeah, things and, that we struggle against. Oh, and man, one this, of them is this kind of imposed yeah. view of reality. Right, honestly. right. Boy, are we is this still an Albuquerque podcast? <laughs> I feel like we've We've strayed a little bit, but I mean, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's our podcast. I think this is a part of Albuquerque that um, what we're talking about is is the part of Albuquerque that's very much a modern day yeah. American city. Yeah, and the kind of jobs that we're always talking about right. attracting, and the kind of you know, the kind of um, development that that people want to see yeah. uh, when they speak politically about development. It looks right. a lot like this, right. and it's it's a strange right. Because I you know I think we do we all want to get by. We all want to have a decent job and so forth but right, it's not right. necessarily this kind of job that works for our city it's truth man i yeah i mean the struggle is real you know i mean and we're all, everyone's dealing with it is like, that a meme thing the struggle it, is real i feel like i've oh. seen that like a hashtag or oh something, i don't know the struggle is real but I don't it know. feels like something from like old communist propaganda or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. I, like I, yeah i'm sure we're not the first to say this but um yeah i i you know i i do think that this is like you can kind of bond with anyone in Albuquerque talking about uh, economic. Uh, I feel like anywhere, problems. anywhere, yeah, yeah. you know. I have had really good conversations with like fast food clerks. Like I, I was talking to um, uh, a woman at Subway, and she was tired and yawning. It was like seven in the morning. She's like, "Sorry, I had to get up at four thirty to get my kid to a sitter," you know. And like, and it's like, 
so you could come work this minimum wage job. Like you can't yeah. be with your your like baby. She told me her baby was like four months old. And there's and, a good chance that she's still on food stamps. Yeah, you know? of course. <laughs> I know. Everyone says, "Oh, these lazy people." No, it's like everyone like people get that stuff to help in addition to like right. you know it, it being impossible. In a way, it really is corporate welfare because it's like helping these big companies pay their employees less. Right. You know, it's it's sorry to get political, but that is a fact. You know, <laughs> like. You know, a McDonald's website urged people to get on their employees to get on welfare. Yeah, I mean, that's sure. that's a corporate plan at that point. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Anyway, where are we? Hold on, I'm gonna stop. Sweet. Okay, well, um, right. let's go ahead and uh, right. kind of wrap this up. And I right. I want to introduce uh, the idea that that next week we're gonna start doing these things weekly. Hmm. We're gonna be doing a um, kind of a supplementary or a, a bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to be quite as uh, refined as what we've been doing. It's mm-hmm. not going to have the pre-recorded piece, but we're going to discuss topics that are related to the previous mm-hmm. piece. Yeah. So um, just as a taste of what's coming up, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the story behind Hoffmantown Shopping Center, ah. which uh, can you give us a little tantalizing glimpse of what that's all about? Well, let's just say it involved a murder-suicide. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's some... The Northeast Heights, as as generic as they might look sometimes, and as you know, kind of bore, boring and modern, um, they really have an interesting history. Yeah. You know, in many in many ways. Uh, we'll talk about yeah. Hidden Park. Yeah. We'll talk about uh, okay, cool. the reason there's many streets in this town and in many other mm-hmm. towns named Princess Jean. Oh, interesting. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So that's next week. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we're going to be uh, we're going to move on from uh, we're going to kind of stick with our lives of quiet desperation okay. theme and, the struggle. and look into what, what some people have uh, decided to do um, as a sort of a, a counterpoint to their, their lives of quiet desperation, nice. which is beat the hell out of each other in the wrestling ring. Oh man. Ty I'm really looking forward cool to this. I'm working on it right now. I'm going to go watch nice. these guys do some, uh, do some practice today. Um, Albuquerque has an underground wrestling scene. That is so yeah. weird. Independent uh, wrestling, not exactly underground, under, okay, indie wrestling. I'm I starting to see flyers for it now that you've drawn yeah. my attention to it. I see it everywhere. Yeah, they're kind of a, a yeah. growing concern. Yeah. And then just as a reminder, May 6th, 10.30 yes. at Guild Cinema, we are PM. presenting City on the Edge presents yeah. Track of the Moon Beast. Yes. Um, we're going to have the show. The show. We have uh, mm-hmm. some special guests. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fantastic. Please yeah. mark your calendar. Mm-hmm. And once again, mm-hmm. check out our Patreon account. Yes. Uh, Patreon, mm-hmm. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot mm-hmm. com mm-hmm. slash City on the Edge. And uh, you know you can uh, kick us a kick us a buck or two if yeah. you're uh, if you're into what you hear. So. Has anyone donated since our last? Um, no, not oh. yet. <laughs> Come on, guys! Come on, guys! You ungrateful. <laughs> Whatever. No, no. And thanks for listening anyway. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so All that's right. it. Yeah. Um, uh, catch you next time. Yeah, the struggle is real. Keep it up. <laughs>